यदि होता कि नर नरेश में राजमहल में रहता सोने का सिंहासन होता सिर पर मुकुट चमकता I wrote this from my family home exactly a month after George Floyd's murder. The last few weeks have been a strange mix of violence and comfort, where I've felt both annihilated by the news and nestled in the people and spaces dearest to me. It's all made me think of the violence in comfort and to really question the racist ideas I've imbibed and sustained from the warmth of my own home. This mail drop is about my lived experience of beauty. Our judgments of beauty are one of the subtlest and sharpest ways that we perpetuate racism. I've always known that beauty means desirability, inclusion, and power. But too often, I've accepted that beauty means lightness. I credit my love of mushrooms to Ashwarya Rai. We were at a Jersey pizza joint. I was five, and the black fungi that I'd never before eaten slimed up my plate. Ashwarya Rai eats mushrooms. An uncle told me in a creative flash. Ashwarya Rai had blue eyes, fair skin, long hair, and a perfect nose. Ashwarya Rai was deemed the most beautiful woman in the world by David Letterman, an American man. And Ashwarya Rai ate mushrooms, so I did too. <laughs> my hair grew longer, but my eyes and skin stayed brown and turned even darker every summer. no matter how much sunscreen i lathered on on the first day of 5th grade a pink-nosed classmate exclaimed to me about how tan i was but look i said pressing the pale stripe of skin under my wristwatch against her arm my untanned skin was about the same color swatch as her tanned skin This isn't the original me I was saying without words enshrining already that white was better than brown and brown was better than black Every day as a kid I scrutinized my body in the mirror I wished for skinnier legs less body hair a straighter nose I wondered what I'd look like if I were taller or had less myopic vision and i daydreamed about having the gray green or hazel eyes of my parents cousins discovering a company a few towns away that allegedly singed off iris pigment to lighten eyes ouch really ibram x kendi recounts a similar desire in how to be an anti-racist asking why did i think lighter eyes were more attractive on me what did i truly want I wanted to be black, he writes, but I didn't want to look black. Well, I wanted to be Indian, but I wanted to look beautiful. My favorite childhood protagonists were tomboyish, bookish white girls, like Hermione Granger, Joe March, Nancy Drew, 
or the heroines of Tamara Pierce. I liked them because they defied feminine stereotypes. They were strong, smart, and adventurous. Similarly, I liked irreverent and cross-cultural movie stars like Jess in Bend It Like Beckham or Ashwarya in Bride and Prejudice, who often landed the cute white guy instead of the Indian suitor their parents wanted. I grew into some version of them all, reading madly, refusing to cook on principle, quitting dance for the drums, crushing mostly on white guys while never expecting reciprocation. I hung out with a solid guy gang, the few other Indian kids in my majority Italian town. They were my best friends. We dealt Pokemon cards at Catholic school mass, ran playground races, sparred in foosball matches, went to each other's birthdays, but I never liked them. It would have felt too stereotypical. Instead, I liked cool, moppy-haired jocks with names like Nick or Dylan. These crushes were always a one-way street, but I didn't mind. Registering as fact that I wasn't cute, I instead earned social status through things I could control, like school or sports. In sixth grade, I beat Nick for class president. By high school, I'd captained varsity tennis, won awards for my art, scored Ivy League acceptances, and collected a wonderful web of friends. I was happy, but I still never thought I was pretty, at least not by the standards of the average teen boy. The first time a boy tried to kiss me, I was so shocked that I recoiled and had to ask him to try again. After we started dating, I noticed stares when we walked in New York City, one man even asking once if he could photograph our hands together, white on brown. Someone actually asked you to take a picture of your hands? Yeah. By the time I broke up with my boyfriend four years later, my self-image and desires had shifted, albeit partially. I finally thought I was beautiful enough, though I was still surprised when others expressed interest in me. I never thought much about my skin or eyes, but getting my first sunburn still felt weirdly like an accomplishment. I described my type as bookish, creative, and outdoorsy, perhaps the antithesis of the investment banker Wasp, but my Tinder still told a tale of race and class. We had a Tinder. <laughs> My super likes came from brown or black male workers in the area, while my matches were Rolodex of white Princetonians. <laughs> At the same time, my substrate was changing too. In the cosmopolitan watering holes of New York City, San Francisco, and London, just being white began to seem boring. People celebrated stars like Beyonce, fuller-bodied models, and children's film heroines like Moana or Princess Tiana. Yoga and mindfulness went solidly mainstream. Maybe too mainstream, I thought, when a boy at college Shabbat once told me he had a Buddhist fetish. What is a Buddhist fetish? Things know. that had felt awkward in elementary school, like brownness, Bollywood, Hinduism, were now interesting and even attractive. With my increased self-confidence combined with this social shift towards multiculturalism, 
It was easier than ever to ignore the racist beauty standards that continued to thrive. Ethnic ambiguity is in, but on a foundation of lightness. Today, my younger sister's Instagram feed is one long scroll of the face Gia Tolentino calls ambiguously ethnic but distinctly white. So basic. Like a National Geographic composite illustrating what Americans will look like in 2050. If every American of the future were to be a direct descendant of Kim Kardashian West, Bella Hadid, Emily Ratajkowski, and Kendall Jenner, who looks exactly like Emily Ratajkowski. Is this literally the same person? It's three different people posting about it. All look exactly the same, same. It's cooler to be ethnic, an anthropology grad student told me at a pre-quarantine party, but only in the right ways. Ethnic spans a broad and messy spectrum between white and black. I've passed as Mediterranean in Athens, Cuban in Havana, Israeli even in the tourist havens of ex-IDF soldiers in India. And each time someone has pegged me as a certain race, I've known whether I've gained or lost power in their eyes. Lightness has almost always been a beauty upgrade, even within communities of color. In Ghana, my driver told me men loved light-skinned women like me. In China, people asked for selfies and let me cut lines when I was with white friends. After centuries of colonization, in India, people still idealize fair skin. Bombay hosts apartment buildings full of Eastern European women who find jobs as Bollywood backup dancers and retail models. German tourists probe Himalayan villages for pure Aryan sperm, while concerned mothers warn their girls to avoid the sun unless they want to end up kalu or black. Media magnates and parents, maybe unwittingly, power a vicious chicken-and-egg cycle of wannabe whiteness. I, too, have casually associated with and upheld whiteness. Before I moved to India, yet another friend warned me that my campus dating and gender norms would be way different than I was used to. I know, I replied reflexively, I don't know where I'll find other white people. Oh my God. <laughs> we stared at each other and burst out laughing in a moment I will never forget. More recently, a Belgian hiker asked me at a mountain hot spring if I was really full Indian. I would have sworn not more than half, he said. I blushed like it was a compliment and then again because I was embarrassed for thinking so. If I looked full Indian, would we even have been talking? At the same time, I've dropped the lightness to blend in when it suits me. I've kept a low profile and bargained for fair prices in India's street markets and taxi stands. And when I've wanted to hear someone's real story, whether a Harlem security guard or a Patterson shop owner, it's been best to be an Indian immigrant. Associating with brownness, however, hasn't always felt authentic. 
When I was writing my college and fellowship essays, I was always advised to lean into being a woman of color. Honestly, after years climbing a social ladder built on whiteness, I was content being the only brown girl on hiking trips or venture capital meetings or philosophy graduate seminars. Emphasizing my identity as a woman of color seemed like an opportunistic lie, like I was cashing in benefits to alienation that I felt I'd never really faced. These power games of beauty and race have existed for decades. Vivek Bald's Bengali Harlem describes Black Americans in the early 1900s who donned turbans to pass as Indian, and Indian traders who, in turn, applied for citizenship as whites. A Savannah judge granted one Calcutta trader's claim after rolling up his sleeve for a skin examination, satisfied, eventually, that while his face and hands had been darkened by the sun, his unexposed skin was several shades lighter and sufficiently transparent for the blue color of his veins to show. As my fifth grade watch tan shows, things change more slowly than we might think. Every time I've wished for whiteness, I've implied that blackness is undesirable. I've passed as lighter or darker to accommodate my needs, but failed to stand against the rules of the game in the first place. Each action has contributed to violence and real consequences for black and brown kids who feel undesirable and alone, growing into adults who are denied the attention, power, and space to live full lives or to live at all. Ibram Kendi says, to be an anti-racist is to diversify our standards of beauty, like our standards of culture or intelligence, to see beauty equally in all skin colors, broad and thin noses, kinky and straight hair, light and dark eyes. To be an anti-racist, he says, is to build and live in a beauty culture that accentuates instead of erases our natural beauty. Our insecurities about our bodies remain often unsaid, but never private. They cascade into the lives of everyone we touch. In a world that equally celebrated the beauty of dark and light bodies, how many people from Tamir Rice to George Floyd would still be breathing? Kendi's anti-racist standard is a directive to expand our concepts of beauty to feel confident in our appearance without degrading those with different physical traits. It's a mission that applies to anyone who has ever woken up in the morning and taken a critical look in the mirror. My judgments on beauty continue to be a messy mix of self-worth and internalized value judgments about body type, personality, or race. I still scrutinize my body every day, but I think harder about the imprints that my judgments leave on others. Slowly, I hope, 
my gaze grows kinder. What's a chili counter? Really?